Welcome to the Boom Boom Performance Podcast, your resource for science-based training and nutrition, data-driven coaching, and education-focused content. Before we get into this podcast, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to listen and learn with me so that you can apply what you are about to learn, take my strategies, use these tools, and finally have some serious methods to see sustainable success with your physique, your mind, and your life. This podcast was built on the foundation of applied education, and I'm excited for you to be here so you can have that experience with me. Now, without any further ado, let's get on to the show. Today, we dive into physique development part two. This is the roundtable I did with the physique development crew. If you missed the first episode, uh, I'm going to keep this intro very short because we're just going to jump right into it. Um, But if you're listening to this and you didn't hear part one, go back. Listen to Tuesday's episode. We aired that on Tuesday. Today is Thursday. We are airing part two of the roundtable. It was a long podcast and we had a lot of questions and we dove really deep into them. So a lot of good dialogue, a lot of good conversation. I hope you enjoyed part one. If you haven't listened to it, go listen to that first. Make sure you go check out my episodes on Austin's podcast as well. I forgot to mention that in the last intro, uh, but head over to his podcast as well. Life Beyond Fitness with Austin Current. Really cool uh, podcast regarding fitness people talking about non-fitness things. And we still dive into fitness on it in, in my episodes and many of the episodes are the same way. Uh, but it's cool to hear what people do outside of fitness or wh- how their brains work outside of the realm of training and nutrition, even though their life is basically all revolving around training and nutrition. So um, I really think you'll enjoy that podcast if you enjoy mine. We have a lot of good episodes on there um, together. Actually, I've been on three of his, two just by myself, and then one was a drunk cast. So him, myself, and Matt McLeod were all in Philadelphia together, had a bottle of wine and podcasted for a couple hours, and it was hilarious. So that's on my podcast as well. So we'll link those in the show notes, guys. But make sure you head over there, watch, uh, listen or watch part one. Make sure you head to YouTube, subscribe to us there. And without any further ado, let's jump into the Physique Development Roundtable Part 2. Um, okay, cool. So Sarah, we, this is going to be a hard one. <laughs> I was going to say utter underlind, but there's a Y in there. Uterlind. Maybe it's German. <laughs> this is a long question. So hi, I was wondering if it's possible to build muscle with a program that is okay. So I think this is, this is actually going to be a really good one. This is going to be kind of like a, a good way for us to just talk about what we like to do for training splits. But basically she's saying, uh, if it's possible to build a program, that is five days a week, and she does legs, upper body, conditioning day, back and chest, full body. It is a circuit training style program, but it does focus on hypertrophy and progressive overload. But I was wondering about the split. Is every muscle worked enough to really build muscle? I love the program. I really look forward to the workouts, and I know that's important, of course, but I also really want to see results. I, fr- I should also mention that I work out from home. I have a decent amount of weights, a barbell, etc. But I am still limited. I don't have a squat rack, so I can't progress squats, so on and so forth. The cable machines are replaced with bands. So basically, she's at a home gym. She has a good amount of equipment, but not everything that we would probably want. Um, and her, uh, her goal is to build muscle um, and eventually be lean. So the, the typical physique goal. Um, so I'll start with this. Like I think like if you're asking if it's possible, the answer is always going to be yes because it's all depending on the circumstance. If you've never trained in your life, there's actually studies to show like incline walking builds quad or quad muscles. <laughs> like like you can really do anything. Like um, I even did blood flow restriction walking to recover from my knee. So like you can do a lot of things to build muscle, but is it optimal? I think it's more of the question. Um, 
five days a week, yes. But the way you're splitting it up, in my opinion, probably not just because it, it's kind of random. Legs, upper body, conditioning, back and chest, full body. So I would ask you why you created that because then that might give me some more context if like there's a reasoning behind it. Um, but in general, I would probably switch things up a little bit if you have five days a week. My go-to would probably be like an upper lower split with a with a fifth full body day or an upper lower split with a fifth like specialization day if you want to bring more volume into a certain body part or two um, or like a upper lower push-pull legs. Like those are probably going to be my five-day options. Um and I think like for the most part, it, you, you're really just trying to focus on hitting each muscle group two to three times a week. I think most research shows that that's probably going to be the most advantageous. So you're not doing too much volume per session. Um, and you also have enough time to have intensity high enough. Uh, we all know like the days of doing like a chest day where you just, it's fun, but by the time you're on your like third chest exercise, your fatigue is so high and there's so much metabolic waste that your, your intensity drops significantly. You can't lift as much weight. Um, so probably two to three times a week of, of everything is probably what I would say. And I would encourage you to invest either more money in some equipment for your home. Um, like a, I mean, I bought a single cable tower for my garage before we got here and it was like 150 bucks and it wasn't the best thing ever, but I built it plate loaded and I could do seated rows, seated pull downs, curls, tricep extensions, face pulls, everything but flies. And it worked fine. So if you could invest a little bit more more money to get cables, I probably would. And like a squat stand. I mean, the one you guys moved out there, that was not that expensive either. It's like the cheapest one you can get on Rogue. But other brands have cheaper ones too. Mm-hmm. Um, or get a gym membership. I, I'm, I'm quick to say like you should probably get more equipment. Or like once you get to a certain point, I feel like mm-hmm. it's actually pretty necessary. And I think at-home workouts get pretty difficult to enhance your physique. Um, but that's my two cents. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll go really, really quick. Um, I'll try to, I'll try to make it brief. Um, so with building muscle, I think you have to kind of look at your, not only your experience level, um, but again, what, what equipment do you have available and what, how much can you adjust the resistance? So think of it in a way there where there is like a uh, stimulus threshold that you kind of have to reach within each session, uh, or within each week to kind of force adaptations to, to occur. So when looking at your, that that is the fundamental kind of backbone of building muscle, we have to work hard enough to force this adaptation to, to happen. And based off your split, based off what you have available, um, if you're just going off of what you have available, you first have to look at what each, so like what the first thing I would look at probably is what equipment and what movement or exercise selection do we have available for each body part mm-hmm. and what do basically what are the resistance profiles of those exercises and how much overlapping or compound movements in muscle groups are there so if your only way to train chest for example is to bench press well then you have to also keep in mind that that is attributing volume to delts and triceps as well as you're training chest. So that's something to keep in mind. So if you are programming in delts and chest in the same workout, that could be great. But if delts and chest fall, or sorry, if delts and triceps fall on day two, then that's something you have to keep in mind because that's overlapping volume and those muscle groups are already fatigued. They've already seen a stimulus of some kind on day one. So day two, maybe you should change things up. And so I don't want to go too far into it, but what I want to say is basically 
you need to, that's why understanding the foundations of kind of what's going on and what is in within your, um, your arsenal and what's it within your exercise selection option. And then moving from there and then trying to make the best of your situation, hit the most volume that you can and also recover from. Um, and then I think with frequency, uh, frequency has a lot to do with how quickly can you train again based off of your previous training session and how you recovered um, from then to now. And so the less volume you hit on your first training session of that week hitting that muscle group, the more quickly you're able to recover, the more frequent you're able to hit that muscle group. And then, you know, at the end of, other end of that spectrum, the more intense or more volume you hit on that specific muscle group, the longer it's going to take to recover, which is going to lessen the frequency in which you can train it. So what I, why I'm mentioning that and what I want basically to, I want to expand on what you said in saying that two to three times a week is optimal. Well, it's optimal if your volume mm. is appropriate. If your volume's not appropriate, then two to three times a week is way too much and you would see way more growth. Like if you're smashing that body part on day one, and you have in your head, okay, if I smash it now, okay, well, but based off smashing it, I have to hit it two more times this week. Okay, well, if you're someone that just goes for it and you ended up hitting it two more times within that week, you would have been much better off just hitting it once yeah, and then allowing it to recover and then hit it once, allow it to recover. Instead of hitting it once, not letting it recover, hitting it again, now we're in a recovery deficit, if you will, and then yet again, you hit it again the same week and now you're just digging yourself into a hole. I like, I like the way you put that. And I think that when I say two, three times a week, I'm, I should elaborate, but I'm thinking in my head that you're at an appropriate volume. You know what I mean? Because I think, uh, there's a lot of research that shows like basically I want to say it's after like 10 or 12 sets in a single muscle group in a session, there's basically just diminishing returns. So knowing like how far to push it to get the most optimal amount of gains without pushing past that recoverability. And if you do pass that, then like you said, doing it again is going to be just even more diminishing returns versus hitting it enough to stimulate stress to get that adaptation, but then move on to something else and then give it a couple days, come back at it. If that makes sense. It does. I'll let these guys go because I could go for a long time. I I think that execution is big too. I mean, with the minimal equipment, you've got to get really good and the motor patterns that you develop need to be very precise for you to get the most out of it. So I would drive home to this individual just to make sure that execution is at a hundred percent before she focuses too much on sets and reps and things of that nature, just making sure that she can really execute well and, and move from there. Yeah. I find that with people that have home gyms with the limited equipment, I definitely would suggest a cable if you are hell bent on yeah. staying in your home gym, just because with the resistance profile, as well as what muscle group you can actually hit, you can't hit all the parts of your back correctly per se without cables um, the resistance just isn't going to line up as great and so being able to have those cables is really going to diversify your training as well as to be able to work in those um, different the different movements as well as where those resistance hit so as Austin was talking about of being able to tell okay where what is this actually hitting as I'm doing it what accumulated volume is coming from that but also we were talking about the other day without having um, something that you can do a leg extension on are you ever getting your quad fully shortened if you're never training your quad in the fully shortened position then why does it matter for equating volume from 
what, whatever it may be. So it's really looking at resistance profile, looking at each exercise, what the secondary muscle group is of that, um, and being able to dive into the why behind that before we start looking at, okay, well, should I do this split or that split? It's okay. Well, what exercises are building that up for that volume to accumulate for that split? Because for home gym, um, people, I often have to do like an anterior posterior split just because I can't load their spine that much with the limited equipment. If they have a bar and dumbbells and that's all they have I can't load their spine that much or I can't do a full leg day because they're going to either be doing those same exercises again the next leg day and having no diversity or they're in a spot where they've completely loaded their spine and then we're in that recovery gap again so it's really being able to look at what exercises you're picking with being at home and then being able to kind of backtrack and then move forward from there I like that a lot I think that's a good perspective um, the last thing I'll add is just that like if we really boil down what makes a muscle actually grow, it's, it's, it's like tension placed on the actual tissue. Um, and I think that like you kind of started talking about this and then started talking about some other things. And I, I just want to highlight it is like going through what you're doing in your gym, what equipment you have available and, and understanding how to get the most tension on the muscle out of what you have. And then being brutally honest with yourself is if you have enough to apply that tension over time. Which is kind of the execution thing he was kind of mentioning. 100%. That's the same yeah. concept. Because yeah. yeah. I think at the end of the day, like I, I know for me, like that was one of the things I ended up running into in my home gym is like I can only have so much in here. And I'm not an abnormally strong person, but I kind of maxed out my potential in this gym because I didn't have an, a heavy enough cable machine to really do a heavy set of eight on cable rows. Like it just couldn't hold that much weight other, you know what I mean? And I can go 12 and then 15 and then 20 and then 25 and then 30. And it's like, okay, like what am I really accomplishing by going this high of reps? Because by the time I'm at 28 reps, I'm finally really stimulating the muscle. And then it's, you know, you're burning out after a couple more reps. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I think that's, that's really important. And you just have to be honest with yourself, like what's in there and can you reach your full potential with that stuff? You can always buy more plates, but like you said, like, and we were talking about this because I'm on a six-day split. It's like two of my days I don't even touch a barbell. And mm -hmm. it's for that reason. Like you can't do – or like the back squat versus the hip thrust, which we're not going to get into today. But <laughs> but that's a good example of like you can do a shit ton of hip thrust. It is with a barbell most of the time, but it's it's a completely different exercise when it comes to uh, systemic fatigue compared to a back squat. Like a back squat is very fatiguing compared to a hip thrust. Um, anything else or – we get on. I think that's good. That's we could good. we could have a whole podcast on that subject. Yeah. So <laughs> we, I think that's a really good place to start, and then um, evaluate those things. And then um, once you've evaluated those things, weigh your options, understand the trade-offs of goals versus reality. So mm -hmm. if you have a goal of reaching your full muscle growth potential, but you're not willing to have the sacrifice or trade-off of getting a gym membership, then realize since you're not willing to make that sacrifice you may not reach that full potential of your muscle growth goals. So understand that with goals become comes trade off and sacrifice that has to be had. So if you want it, then go get it. And if you're okay with what you can get out of your home gym, then accept yeah. that as your reality. And you'll have to kind of be okay with less variety and not yeah. always trying to mix it up, which I find that is hard when you have limited equipment. Cause you're just like, I'm doing the same movements, which can get very boring, yeah. but it's kind of what you have. Uh, Tony Robbins, this is like completely <laughs> different subject, but Tony Robbins has a, uh, a very interesting, uh, way of like doing sales basically. Um, that's really what it is about, but it talks about pain and pleasure. So you're talking about 
the reward and like the sacrifice. It's kind of the same thing. It's like the is the pain of getting a gym membership worth the pleasure of seeing your full potential, or is the pain of having a gym membership worth the pleasure of well, there's really no pleasure there of like saving that money on a gym membership, yeah. whatever it may be. Pleasure but, is removing pain, though. So. Mark Manson talks a lot about this too, and that's kind of like an old philosoph- uh, philosophic way of thinking about it too. And all pleasure is is the removal of pain. Mm. So it, everything has to do with pain, and either reducing it or trying to avoid it altogether. And the complete removal of pain is fundamentally then pleasure. Yeah. Um, and then with obviously there's a threshold there and. We won't go dive into that, but yeah, yeah, yeah. along the same lines, right? Like it's, it's very interesting though. Understanding the, the, the two though is, is yeah. really helpful. Like I've actually used that with people on a call of like trying to like explain to them, like some people want to lose a bunch of weight or lose a bunch of fat, get shredded and stuff. And they're not willing to sacrifice anything. They're like, I want it to be a really easy process. I don't really want to stress too much. And you know, like I don't want I to wanna still go out to eat and it's like, and okay, well, meals every week. you got to understand there's some things that you got to yeah. sacrifice. And that's the pain part. It's like, Hey, you have to sacrifice some of the aspects in your lifestyle yeah. in order to get the pleasure of liking what you really see in the mirror or like being to that physique you really wanted yeah. to achieve. Um, but that doesn't come without sacrifice. Yeah. Well, I think I, yeah, I I heard it in the phrase of just everything in life comes at a cost, but that cost can be sleep. It can be a high calorie treat. It can Mm -hmm. be time with a loved one. It can be whatever. And like looking at it from that point, because it's kind of like, yeah, everything costs something, but it's like me being in prep that comes at the cost of the reward is me being shredded and me reaching that. But it comes with the cost of less energy, the cost of less time because I have to allot it elsewhere, the cost of less sleep because I have to allot my time elsewhere, the cost of actual money that I have to spend on it. And it's like, it's all coming at a price. And with dieting or someone wanting to reach a goal, um, it doesn't have to be miserable, but maybe that's not eating out five times a week and realizing that that is a cost that you are paying, so to speak, to be able to reach anything you want in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, had, I I talked about this on a podcast. Somebody asked me, um, how I balance, uh, family and business. And I started by saying balance is bullshit. Like I, yeah. I don't spend as much time with my family as I do on my business. But for me, the sacrifice of having less time with them means more time that Shannon gets with my daughter. It means that Shannon doesn't have to work. It means that she has a better place to live. So that's like, okay, I get less time. I get stuck at the office sometimes. But the pleasure for me is, is their pleasure kind of thing. And it's the same 100%. thing, I think, in everything in life has like that, that yin and yang. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, okay. So back to fitness stuff. <laughs> Christine Forsyth. Hey, Cody. I've been in a strength gaining phase for the past two months. I have seen some good gains, but I am getting a little uncomfortable weight-wise and would like to do a mini cut. For reference, I am a 5'7 female and doing carb cycling as I found it works best with my hunger levels and PCOS. On my leg days, my macros are 150 protein, 235 carb, and 70 fat three days a week. On the rest days, I am at 150 protein, 180 carb, 80 fat. At the end of my cut three months ago, I was 142, so she's only been off her cut for three months, but the end of my cut sorry, but I'm currently 148. So she's gained six pounds. So I think my weight has increased too quickly. Would 150 protein, 145 carb and 70 fat be acceptable for like four-ish weeks to cut back down? Um, would I then reverse back up or jump straight to my new maintenance? So basically I think at the end of the day, it's like, do I have the right to cut? 
right now is like is really the answer and how Probably would how not. would i go about that <laughs> these are such in-depth que- what question box is this from? dude <laughs> i have so, like a google doc thing? <laughs> i have a i have a we have a podcast form oh i was like damn this would not well, fit we, my instagram box. <laughs> no well <laughs> yeah no well we so we didn't so i put in my newsletter i said okay. that you guys were going to be here on tuesday and i said like uh send us your questions click here um we didn't put a character limit on it okay so dude like you should some of these if I showed you some of them, that, <laughs> like I have to chop them down for Travis to read on the Q and A's because it's like, hey Cody, uh, this is what I do for a living. This is my <laughs> macros. This is my weight. And it's like, so what I usually do is I'll read them and then I'll get like I'll like leave a question for That's Travis it. and then I'll be like, hey, for context, guys, it's a busy mom who wants to blah blah blah. Because one thing that I've noticed at first I was like, what the fuck? These are like ridiculous. Very but people life. really really enjoy troubleshooting Mm -hmm. so i have found it uh, to be a really successful thing to do on the podcast where people ask their ridiculously in-depth questions where normally i would say you should just probably hire a coach but instead i'm like you know what i'm just going to give you my general feedback Mm -hmm. Um, normally it's never going to be enough to really like continue seeing results for six months because i can only say so much in a a podcast but i think it's helpful to go through the questions because then they're like i wasn't even asking myself that or thinking exactly yeah to be able to start the wheels churning yeah and then there's other people listening that are in similar situations i had one lady that asked a pretty in-depth question about reverse dieting and i literally was like do this with your carbs do this for this long wait for this blah, blah blah and she hit me up like six months later and she like added like 600 calories she's dropped three pounds she's like super happy she stopped like restricting xyz that's and i was awesome. like whoa this is really cool off a of podcast question yeah. it's like that's dope um but in general this this question so basically this lady has um she has been off her diet for three months she has increased i'm assuming her calories significantly she didn't tell us what her old macros were um she said, would 150 protein, 145 carb and 70 fat be acceptable? I'm assuming that's where she left off, like on her cut, because she mm-hmm. wants to go back to that, mm-hmm. which would mean that she added over 100 grams of carbs um, on a daily basis, some, some days more. Um, and she's only been off for three months. So right away, you only gained six pounds in three months. I know you said you think that's pretty quick. I would probably say that's not that quick, mm-hmm. three months for six pounds. That's really good. No, that's it's really good. good. I mean, and I know you're a female, but at the same time, like how much of that is just water, glycogen, sodium, food in your stomach, like that you shouldn't even be worrying about because it's not yeah. like it's body fat. And, and how much of an external stressor are you having because summer's coming up that mm-hmm. you're like, ah, I probably need to lose. I, I feel like I would feel more comfortable in a bathing suit at this weight or yeah. what have you. I think that many people are falling into that right this second where it's like, I don't know. I don't know if I need to be in a reverse or what have you, but I need to look better for summer. Yeah. So yeah. that's like an external thing that is driving people without even really realizing. Yeah. I would say that my biggest piece of advice is don't let your short-term goals eclipse your long-term mm. goals. So if you have a long-term goal of building muscle, understand muscle takes time and don't let something like summer, which is a very short-term goal, eclipse that. I find so many people, like Alex said, get stuck in that like, oh, summer is coming or, oh, this event is coming. The Arnold's coming up, but then I'm going on vacation, but then I have a bachelorette party. I want to diet for all of these. How much of that is constantly eclipsing your long-term goals because you're looking so short-term at what's next? Um, and that's something that, as we talked about in the podcast about how I took a whole year off dieting, and it was a really cool experience because I went on a few trips. I had summer. I had the Arnold, which I was at a booth and had to like be presentable for people in a sports bra and like shorts. And it was like I didn't diet for any of those. And it was so re- 
so relieving mentally to first not always feel like I had to diet for an event coming up, but it was also something where I was like, I'm working towards my freaking goals. Like in a year, I, I'm so freaking happy now that I didn't diet during that time frame because this prep would be a whole different story yeah. versus like me being able to take that time and recognize what my actual goal was. Um, so it's very easy to feel uncomfortable in your body, especially after you've been dieting and you're doing the opposite of that when you're like, my goal is to be small. And now I'm not, or maybe I don't feel as lean, but I find oftentimes females, especially they see that number go up and they automatically think that they feel worse about themselves. Take a second, take a step back, kind of say, how are my lifts going? How's my training going? Am I truly uncomfortable in my body? Or was it a few days where I didn't feel the best? And I thought, let me jump into a mini cut because that's what you've always done. Um, and be able to kind of look at that because I don't always feel comfortable in my body. And I think it's having that neutrality and not just jumping from I'm uncomfortable. Let's diet. Yeah. I want to add three things to what you just said. The first one being, unless you're at a booth, I always think it's funny when people are like, Oh, I want to get lean for the Arnold or for this seminar. And I'm like, we're all sitting in a room fully yeah. clothed. Why? <laughs> no one's going to know. <laughs> no this. one's going to know. If anything, like I want to like eat more. So I look bigger when I get to the <laughs> event. Like I don't care what I look like without my shirt off. Um, the other thing I was going to say is that I think, part of that mindset and being comfortable comes with the, uh, it's not really experience, but the lack of judgment in comparison. Like you're not worrying about what other people think as much as the normal person, or you're not comparing yourself to others as much as other people anymore. Maybe mm -hmm. you did in the past. I wouldn't know, but I think we've all kind of had that in some way, shape or form. And I think one thing that people who can speak on your level have in common is that they have gotten over that fear mm -hmm. of the fear of judgment or that comparison where they're always worrying about what other people look like compared to themselves. Um, and that allows you being able to remove that allows you to focus on yourself for the long term and really do what you did. Take a full year and just work on your body and mm -hmm. your physique. Um, and I think that's super, super important. Uh, there was a third point, but I totally yeah. forgot it at this point. So, But it's also <laughs> how many people are even going to notice that you were in a diet? 100%. Like, I don't want that to sound rude, but I went through a whole prep in secret. Like, I didn't talk about it on Instagram. I didn't tell people. Like, people near me knew. But, like, n I lost 25, this one? 30. Not this one. Uh -huh. My last prep that I went through two years ago was completely empty private. I didn't tell anyone on Instagram, but I went through, I was still posting. I was posting pictures, whatever it may be, but I didn't ever vocalize that I was in a dieting phase or that I was prepping ever. No one really commented on my physique changing. I lost maybe 25 or 30 pounds. I got some comments here and there like, white when I was getting close to stage. Oh, you've, you've been looking good. What have you been doing to cut back mm -hmm. as I'm getting close, close to stage? I was still posting videos and pictures and no one knew. Yeah. And it's like, even now to this point where like, I sometimes will get offended a little bit in my head when someone's like, Oh, you're in prep right now. Right. And I'm like, yeah, I'm in prep right now. Don't I look <laughs> freaking shredded to you? But it's like the average person really doesn't notice. Yeah. Like, I could literally go to my parents' house 20 pounds heavier or 20 pounds lighter, and they probably, other than, like, the strictness and if I'm going out to eat or not, wouldn't necessarily be like, oh. Oh, shit. My oh, shit. She's, she's gained a little bit of weight there or it, anything like that. Like, she's five pounds less. Um, people don't always notice it unless yeah. you constantly vocalize See, like, it. My family, if, if I show up on a cut, my grandma's like, you're eating. <laughs> She's trying to show. I'm like, oh, no, come on. It's so good. Um, I, the, the thing I was going to add to it is you mentioned bloat. And I think uh, like one thing I do with clients is if they bring up a mini cut or a cut and they're not ready, I always kind of do like a checks and balances list of like, hey, like 
why do you want to cut? Like, give me like, what do you feel like what's going on? Uh, and how does that conflict with what your actual long-term goals are? Like, let's make a tally. And then if, if it is just a matter of like, I just like, I hear this all the time. Like I feel blah, like, and I'm like, okay, you're just bloated. Yeah. Like let's, let's look at your foods. Let's clean that up. Let's get more dialed in. Let's get some better sleep. Like just focus on more water, like very simple things that mm-hmm. you can do to like remove blow, better digestion, maybe like go with a more low FODMAP approach to some of your veggies. You get some people are like, I'm bloated all the time. I think I should cut. And I'm like, you're eating six cups of broccoli a day. Like <laughs> maybe cut we should back. cut the broccoli. Yeah. You don't <laughs> need that much broccoli. Um, so I think little things like that help yeah. too. Yeah. But. Especially laying it out. Cause I had a client who wanted to diet for her birthday and then for the Arnold. And it was something where it would end up her being in a dieting phase much longer than she needed to. And I said, pick one. I was like, which one's more important? Like you're going to be fully clothed on your birthday. You're not wearing anything revealing. You're hanging out with your family. Like what is going to help you better? Because looking at what we just came out of a diet and being able to go into another one, we can only do one of these. So pick. Yeah. I love it. Do you guys have anything to add to that? No one cares as much about (laughs) what you want out of life than yourself. So I think that's the most brutal, honest thing to say, but just no one cares as much as you do. Yeah. It's like you have a blemish on your face. That's all you see when you look in the mirror. But until you pointed it out to your friends, no they didn't really notice it. Yeah. You know? So it's one of those things that you are always going to care more. And yeah, what's the trade off? Pick one. Yeah. Cool. All right. Angelica wants to know. Is that from Rugrats? <laughs> yeah. Is it Angelica? Oh, it's Angelic. My bad. No. Uh, <laughs> how can I even out my body? My right side is about one to two inches bigger through arms and legs. I mean, if I if it was a client, I'd always ask why. Obviously, I'm assuming yeah. some kind of injury or anything. But I'll let you guys uh, attack this if you want. What was the question? So basically. <laughs> Balance of body. How can they even oh, out their body? Right basically, like the right set side is bigger than the left by one to two inches. Well, if your right side is your dominant side, I would look at that first because if you're always starting with one side for exercises, like let's say you're doing split squats, you always start with your right leg. Even though you might be doing the same amount of sets, you're going to have more fatigue when it comes to your left leg and switching. So I would first look at what if it's your dominant side that's bigger and kind of what's playing into that. But then I'll let so basically like if you do that you're probably gonna like when you get to the other side you're more fatigued you're gonna compensate more maybe not get as much out of those reps yeah or maybe not even complete all of the reps because if you go hard as crap on your right side and let's say you get 10 reps then you go to your left and maybe you can only get eight that's that accumulates over Mm -hmm. time of course yeah yeah i think getting better at unilateral work and symmetry is kind of bullshit anyway there's not everybody is yeah there's going to be imbalances you're never going to be a point where your left bicep and your right bicep are the exact same measurement there's going to be some discrepancy regardless of, of how well balanced from a strength perspective you are so yeah unilateral work is pretty important i found like with my surgery on the left side uh, i had to do that a lot and i added like literally like when i say i added volume like i would add a rep or two to my left leg to try to bring it up because it was three inches smaller than my right yeah. after surgery. So it's like, I'm just going to add a little bit more volume. But I also noticed that I get quad stimulus. Like I feel my right quad working on a split squat or even a leg extension when I'm doing bilateral uh, at six reps. And it won't, I don't even like feel that until I'm at like 10 reps with my left leg. Mm-hmm. And it's getting better now that I've been training, but right, especially right after surgery, I mean, I practice isometric contractions because it's just like, I just have to teach the muscle to turn on again. Um, so making sure you have 
like I hate the term mind muscle connection, but it's the best thing I can think of right now. Like making sure you have that connection and you can actually feel your muscles working, I think is important too. Yeah. Um, cause otherwise you might not be doing what you think you're doing. Like if you're doing a tricep extension and you're like, why do my shoulders and abs burn? And it's like, okay, well like let's, let's work on the mechanics of what you're doing. Maybe lighten the load and actually get your triceps to fire. Thank you guys as well. Cool. <laughs> Just leave it at that. And cool. I think from a, an athletic perspective, for me personally, uh, through baseball, I was leading with my right side constantly. Yeah. So everything on the right side of my body, when I began bodybuilding and things like that, it was just stronger uh, circumference of things was, was larger and things like that. So I think that if you're working through from a sport perspective, that can possibly be a thing too. There so was a huge discrepancy in his squat. I can even, um, I, I could like pull it up on old YouTube videos of, he used to have this huge hip shift. And coming up from the bottom of a squat, it honestly looked like he was leading into a hit, like in, like he was in the batter's box. And as Damn. he was coming up, yeah. like it looked like he Weird. was literally coming in for, uh, like hitting, a, trying to hit for, like a home run. Yeah. Because, I mean, it, it's insane the the amount of hip shift he had. But, I mean, you're that's got to be like talking, a nervous system. Out of well, you're talking. Right? Well, that plus your years and muscle years. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. training a sport a that I've played since I was thousands and thousands yeah. and thousands of hits. Yeah. Where he's just repeating that motion. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just wired in. Yeah. So, yeah, you have to kind of unwire some of those. I things. think having somebody like you to be able to eye that too, because you probably didn't even notice. Because I know for me, after my first knee surgery, I started squatting again. I was fine. And it wasn't until I was squatting with somebody there, like, dude, you're shifting to the right so much. And I'm like, what? And it's mm-hmm. been like months. Yeah. And it's like, man, I've been. Tape sitting video. into my right hip over and over again, really, which was just subconsciously me avoiding tension on my left yeah. leg. Right. But at the end of the day, like I didn't have pain. So if somebody guided me to sit in the middle, I was fine. I just automatically shifted. So having somebody or just filming yourself, filming I think yourself. there's like value yeah. in just filming. So I, much. I have a lot of clients do that every once in a while just to make sure like, I'm like, Hey, film yourself, do all your big lifts this week. I just want to like check in, yeah. make sure you're doing well. Um, and there's some people like, like the littlest thing can help them so much in their movement. Yeah. Um, but no, I think that's, I think that, that one's actually pretty easy. Yeah. I even say with filming, when clients send me videos, I tell them to rewatch it as I'm speaking through it. And then before they send me another one, I'm like, take a few more and watch it and fix things because I want them to become self-sufficient of like being able to watch their videos. And Alex does my training and I don't send him all of my videos because oftentimes I watch it and I'm like, I could have changed that before I send it over to yeah. him. And it's something I don't even recognize I'm doing just because I'm like in the zone yeah. um, of whatever it may be. I think, uh, like, so for me, like, I know my, my uh, training sessions that we're taking pictures or filming, not from a load perspective, because I'm not one to, like, I'm going to put more on the bar because the camera's here, but, like, that teaches me a lot. Once we started filming a lot of content, I was like, I can improve my form and my tension so much because the camera's on. I'm, like, really, really <laughs> thinking about it. So I don't want people on Instagram to see a poor, poorly form- executed movement and then go do it that way and hurt themselves. Yeah. So I'm like really paying attention. Mm-hmm. And then I like watch it and I think about how more, much better that felt, how much more difficult it was. And I was like, okay, I really need to get better about yeah. this. Like I was like, just keep the camera on all the time. <laughs> um, cool. These ones are all, the rest of them are all from Instagram. So they're a little bit shorter. We can kind of rapid fire these ones. This makes more sense. <laughs> Fernando underscore eight, nine, seven underscore favorite book as a group on nutrition and fitness. You want to start? Um, I think it just depends. It's dependent on your goal. Uh, if you have a physique based strength based goal, uh, if it's mainly based around strength training, so that's not, not, not best book, favorite book, your favorite book personally. Oh, 
Favorite book on fitness nutrition? Because I know your mind goes <laughs> elsewhere. Okay. Um, I think the I think the um, mus- the muscle and strength pyramid books are a great place to start because the authors have not only all come from a different background, but also have all dealt with clients and understand not only the kind of the backbone of what's going on from a kind of physiological level um, and then what's most updated within the research, but also what's most realistic for clients because they've all worked with clients um, for quite a while, really. So I I think the Muscle and Strength Pyramid Nutrition book is a great place to start. uh, And it's going to, I think one of the biggest things for nutrition and understanding really anything is read a book that does it well all around understand try and take note of what you need to look deeper into to better understand it and then try to find sources to better understand kind of the holes you need to fill within your understandings yeah both those right there that's like definitely in my top two i think Mm -hmm. they just do such a good job at definitely kind of encompassing everything and they don't really have any i don't think I think they're all the, the authors of those are, are pretty unbiased as well. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like they don't have anything to gain. Like that's the, they're not trying to sell other books from that. Yeah. Like that's or the products book. They, or anything. That's what they want you to understand. And then if you want to understand more, then you can reach out for coaching. But even the likelihood of you getting a spot on their roster is low. Excellent. Yeah. Cause mm-hmm. they have nothing. And that's another reason why I like it. They have nothing else to gain other than you understanding what they wrote. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that's all they well, want. It started as a free video. Like I remember yeah, in a video series. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 2012 or 13, Eric Helms started filming the videos. Yeah, a long time on a whiteboard and like old camera. See, that was forever. That was honestly like a really <laughs> yeah. big shift in my career yeah. when I first watched those videos because it was right as I started diving into. I think it was right after I, I did a show and I made a really bad mistake of having a cruise the next mm. day so i did a show sick. went out for my right. cheat meal and then i literally woke up the next and day had a cheat meal went on a cruise yeah and balled out alcohol yeah. like and Unlimited. my girlfriend at the time did a show was with me so we were both in like full <laughs> oh, shoot. binge mode yeah. and the funny thing is, is i started watching that as i was going through prep and i emailed eric helms i'll never forget this and i said like here's what I'm doing. Like, I don't really know what to do after the show, but like I was figuring after my cruise and he was like, all I can say is you probably should not go on a cruise, (laughs) (laughs) but think about reverse dieting, try to do your best. Like he was very nice about it. Just free email, just like, you know me. And then of course I went on the cruise, I binged and I just gained a bunch of weight back. And it was, that was my first like reality check of like, okay, there's, there's like other things to think about and consider with reverse dieting and blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, that, no, it's funny. With that, it would have been really great to go on a cruise in like eight weeks. So you had food in you, but exactly. then you also didn't go out of control because you wanted yeah. to look good for the cruise. Fuck, even um, four weeks yeah. the next day. <laughs> so right out, yeah, we're planning a vacation and it's like we're trying to plan it so I'm not right out of prep to where I'm like in the worst spot yeah. ever to go and have this freedom with food. Right. That's tough. Yeah. Jamaica. Yeah. Jamaica. Jamaica. Oh, book. Is that where um, you guys are going? <laughs> I thought yeah, we were talking about vacation. Um, <laughs> we're going to Jamaica. The sun's on the mind. Yeah. Um, I, I like the Mike Matthews books. I like the Muscle mm-hmm. and Strength Pyramid. Um, I think Mike Matthews does a good job with them. Uh, I know I stole this from Sue. I knew that was already what she was going to say. Um, <laughs> but I think those books are really, really good for the beginner too. Yeah. 100%. Like, 100%. Muscle and Strength Pyramids get a little bit more advanced. Like there's a lot of uh, – 
terms and tables and yeah. uh, cited sources yeah. that can kind of like overwhelm people. I think that's why I was trying to ask like what are their what their goal is. Yeah. Um, and how in depth do we want to like mm-hmm. yeah. how in depth do you want the book to be? I, I think suppose. I think Mike's books are great in yeah. terms of yeah. yeah, and I know Sewell back that um, in terms of kind of like hitting on the beginner into the kind of the early stages of okay, I kind of under I'm already understanding the beginning stuff, uh, and then as you get more into it intermediate to advanced uh and you just are pretty lost on nutrition still then i think the the one i mentioned is probably the better one yeah and i would say if you're a coach asking this that going through precision nutrition is going to be great for you yeah going through a a certification course yeah i was going to say that gives you a textbook is Mm -hmm. probably going to be the most in depth Mm -hmm. um i'm gonna i'm gonna take a different approach to this or are you gonna were you gonna say mike matthews books you can go okay (laughs) because they said you were going to so i guess i assumed we like Um, to put words in her mouth (laughs) i love i mean obviously they're all on my bookshelf so i love all those um but i think uh the book i'm gonna say like i have two in mind that I don't think are the best books and I didn't get the most out of them, but my, they're my favorite. Um, I really enjoyed Wired to Eat, even though I'm the opposite of a paleo person <laughs> by Rob Wolf because I just like the way he the way he narrated it is really good. The way he didn't make you feel like paleo was, uh, was the way. Mm-hmm. And he talked more about like the psychology and physiology of what's going on with your body and why we are wired to eat more food. Hungry Brain is very similar. Yeah, I liked Hungry so Brain. So I really enjoyed those books. And I really enjoyed Christian Thibodeau and Paul Carter's uh, Max Muscle Bible. I don't know if you guys have ever read that. And it's there's a lot of bro science in it. And there's a lot of like just in the trenches, like just cool, fun shit. So it's, it's one of those books that there's so many creative – like reps and set schemes and drop sets and intensity uh, intensification techniques in it that are just fun to throw in a client's programming that kind of allow you to be creative sparingly because you don't want to do too much of that shit. Um, but I really enjoy just reading that and just like hearing how they go about things and all the different ways you can be creative with how you program. Um, I think that's really, I, I did a lot of Christian Thibodeau, John Meadows, like a lot of that kind of training, uh, elite FTS stuff like in my early years. And they use a lot of those, like, not really proven by science, but, like, drop sets and intensity and, and, like, basically going to failure. And I think it taught me a lot. And it was some of the most fun I've ever had in training. Granted, I probably didn't do things as optimally as I should have. I had the most fun ever. And, like, because of that, I love those kind of books. Like, The yeah. Vault by uh, Dave Tate is great, too. It's just, like, a book of, like, all of his secrets. Like, that's what he calls it, like, the book of secrets. But um, I had the most fun with that book, I would say. Like we talked about it yesterday a little bit to the kind of the um the innocence or what's the word you use um i know what you're talking about i don't know kind of your um oh shit what is that word you're, you're it's <laughs> like, like a, you're naive yeah you, being naive being naive is is such a luxury early on that i think um i i think that's why i think having a good foundation to build knowledge on almost remain naive as much as you can. Like as long as you're staying safe and you're, you're being smart, you're be- thinking critically and you're, you're using logic, but try and stay naive, man. Cause it, I mean, it's fun. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's the problem with like, there was somebody that was arguing online about drop sets actually and how like baseball and research, like they're basically useless and it like low, like the, the fatigue to stimulus ratio is shit. And like, it just diminishes your ability to have more volume, blah, blah, blah. And, and I literally, my response is literally like, they're fucking fun. Yeah. So like every also, once in a while, also what adaptation like are you trying to get? Yeah. I think 
<laughs> there's a there's a whole rabbit hole we could go into but that's, here. But there was like one study that like basically was done and it didn't prove that they were beneficial. But it's like okay, what's the context of the study? What's the goal of the study? What are the participants in the study? Yeah. And again, like I I'm, I talk about this all the time. There's so many things I will do inside of coaching that aren't necessarily backed by science or don't agree with science, but it makes it more fun easier to adhere to so on and so forth and that's like very very valuable i think in the big picture of things 100 percent yeah adherence and being able to do something for a long time is what we're trying to build yeah and if we just go by the book that that's not necessarily going to be the most fun and of course like the the things that bring results aren't always the most sexy or the most fun but being able to like sprinkle those in allows people to have joy while they're going along which yeah. helps 100%. for sure so your book Oh, well, I, I, the precision <laughs> nutrition, if you're a coach and okay. you're looking for more, but Mike Matthews books, I was kind of thrown off with, um, uh, the reason they're saying that I would say those is Mike Matthews, um, is the CEO of Legion. I'm associated with Legion. Um, but the, I was kind of thrown off by the thinner, leaner, stronger. And I kind of didn't like that. That was the more female geared book. Just talking about being thinner, um, marketing leaner. Yeah. All that. But once I read into it, it, it was actually really beneficial. And I actually use some expert excerpts, um, with clients just because I think he phrased things really well. He does a great job with beginners and just the Legion site in general has a ton of blogs. Mike has a ton of, um, podcasts that are great, um, and go really into depth on Love things. It. Uh, next one from our boy, Matt McLeod six. <laughs> I say Matt McLeod, but it's not McLeod, is it? It is. It's McLeod. It's McLeod. Okay, we were talking about it's not McLeod. It's not McLeod or McLeod. It's McLeod. It's McLeod. I always like tell him, like, McLeod is such a movie star name. Yeah. Yeah. Like Tom Cruise or something. Like Matthew McLeod. What is it? What's the McLeod movie? Isn't there one with um, Zac Efron? Oh, I literally was like, I swear McLeod's in a movie, and and I couldn't think of it. So I was like, maybe I'm just thinking. No, I think it's a Zac Efron movie. Oh, okay. Maybe. (laughs) I have no idea. I'll think of it later. High School Musical. High School Musical or (laughs) Die. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Have you guys seen Baywatch? (laughs) Yeah. I haven't seen it. I I watched that recently. Kevin Hart. Yeah, there's no way Zac Efron wasn't on something. (laughs) He literally was like, like, thin skin. Right. Super shredded, yeah. Oh, my God. Like, abnormally. Good for him. He looked great. I don't care. Charlie St. Cloud. It was going to irritate me if I didn't look it up. (laughs) So Matt wants to know, this is actually a really good question. What's something each of you have changed your mind about in the past year or so and why? Dang. Do you have one on top of your head? I have to think about that one. I don't know. Like not on top of my head. I'm trying to think. I read this hours ago. I should have thought about it. <laughs> what a flaw. I picked either. the questions, but I forgot to answer them. Yeah. I, I, I do that every time we, we do a podcast. I don't think first. I just go. Um, do you guys have anything off the top of your head? Actually, you know what? I, I'm sorry. No, go, go, go. Yeah, yeah. And the, the reason I said this is because you, you actually talked about it. I commented on the post, like your, your thoughts of the week kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, cardio. So that's one thing I have changed my opinion on. Um, I think w- – and it might have been like two years ago, but like in general, in the last couple years, I think I very much so just looked at it only as a means to burn calories mm-hmm. for fat loss. Um, and I've dug more and more into really the physiology of energy systems and, and like what's actually going on and how those relate to not only fat loss, but performance in cardiovascular health and your metabolism and even building muscle. Mm-hmm. Um, if you improve your oxidative system, you actually will be able to build more muscle in the long run. If you, if you really think about what's going on, 
Um, so I think I've changed my perspective quite a bit on that uh, because I realized how many more benefits there were outside of just fat wow. loss. So uh, applying it in different situations and in, in programming it in a different way that's more performance geared where it's like conditioning. I don't like using the word cardio. Um, because one thing that's very hard is like progressive overload is very easy. Drop like linear progression, like your low, your volume decreases, your intensity increases. It's very easy to make sure you're just adding weight over time if your reps are dropping. Um, progression in cardio is very difficult to program compared to like bodybuilding, in my opinion. Um, if you're doing it for fat loss, it's basically like until it stops working and then you increase duration or something. But like if we're looking at like not overly adapting to cardio, which is pretty easy for your body to do compared to strength training, it gets pretty tricky. Like if you really dive into the program design behind like, like people like Joel Jameson, who trains a lot of MMA fighters or the OPEX guys, James Fitzgerald that works with like world-class CrossFit athletes that has to train these concurrent athletes. It's like really, really fascinating, confusing at times, but um, that's something inside of fitness and nutrition. I think I've definitely kind of changed my perspective on. I think not looking at things in a vacuum um, and understand things are multifaceted. So like the cardio thing. And so I think that's something I've changed over the last 12 to 24 months is just like my answer with the hormones, like taking an evolutionary perspective on that and not thinking of it purely as, okay, there's this hormone response to this one thing that happens to this one person and like, we have to attack that one, you know, symptom or whatever else. And that's going to fix every issue. Um, but just having more of an overarching look at things, uh, which is why I kind of started to do those observations of the week posts because like they allow me to really kind of think through things and test my assumptions on a lot of things. And I'll look at something and I'm like, well, does that matter? Is that a, as big of a deal? So thinking back, um, to, you're the, the guy that was arguing about drop sets not leading to increased volume. Well, who, who, who was the first person to even argue that we're using drop, drop sets to increase volume? You're probably not using drop sets to increase volume. Mm -hmm. You're using drop sets to a, get another adaptation that you're going for that subsequently will lead to greater volume or adaptations in the future. And sometimes you have to take two steps back to take three yeah. steps forward. And so... I think one of the biggest things I've changed is just tr taking a step back myself and almost looking at things from like, you know, a 10,000 foot view, you know, I'm, I'm not on the bottom of the mountains looking up at, you know, there's only one trail to get up, you know, you're kind of on top now and you're able to look at, there's many ways to get to a certain destination and there's many ways to kind of go about it. And, I think to, to not look at things in a vacuum or to not understand that things are always multifaceted. There's always more than one way to get there and think about them. And um, just like the cardio one. Yeah. I think taking, I've, I've changed my, uh, taking things as kind of like gospel, it, like, like reading mm -hmm. it. Like I remember like seeing a study and be like, that's, that's it. it. That's like, that's all that, you know what I mean? Like everybody now or this has to, and I think this is more of just like my evolution over my career in general is like really taking things with a grain of salt, no matter how much evidence there is. Cause it's, it's all context specific. I would say not being so black and white with execution. I think that 2017, 2018, we submerged ourselves into 
the best absolute way to execute movements and, and uh, the insertion and the origin of, of musculature. And we were so rigid in, in how to make that happen. Um, and I think that over the last two years, we've gotten to a point where just the functionality and making sure that the musculature is all working together in unison has been so much more successful comparative to the extreme isolation that we kind of shoved ourselves into. Um, so that's been kind of the, the biggest shift for me. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I, I've, I've definitely changed my mind over the past few years about different things. And I think something that I've gotten better at um, in regards to changing my mind is being able to look at things more contextually. So like you talked about of reading a study or reading something and wanting to like apply that, I realized that with trends within my coaching of like sometimes something will come up or I'll apply something in my own coaching and then, or like it's applied to me and then I start to apply it to all my clients. And it's like whatever's popular at that time or whatever's working for me at that time, sometimes I'm very quick to just apply it to everything. And so I've gotten better at like contextualizing that, seeing if it's going to be helpful for that individual and being able to go from that and, and use myself as like a test dummy to a certain degree, but not so much that I just look at it as like, oh, it worked for me kind of thing. It's going to work for you and being able to be more individualized with clients instead of being able to just be like, this is how it works. This is the science behind it. Now go and do it because there is different application. And especially when we're looking at scientific studies of what that looks like in a vacuum <laughs> um, and being able to apply that. I like that. I have another one. Um, you made me think of this. Uh, I think I've honestly, I think I've had quite a few if I really think about like how I've changed my mind on things. But um, and I think this goes in ebbs and flows. We all like I know a lot of people that are like, I can't speak for you guys, but go through periods of times where you study something very in depth. Like it's like all I'm doing is reading this kind of like information. And then like for a while, it's like, I'm only reading mindset stuff. I'm only reading training. Um, for me, I think that I, I've gone in ebbs and flows with this, but for all of 2017, all of 2018 and half of 2019, it was like training and nutrition. Like that's all I gave a shit about. It's all I read about. It's all I listened to everything. Um, and I would say once I started building my team, once I started, once I became a father, like that shifted so much to how do I communicate better? Uh, motivational interviewing, crucial conversations, um, habits of highly effective people, listening to biographies, um, like hearing people's point of view on life and what it means to be successful, happy, a good person, um, faithful, trustworthy, really like how to interact with human beings. I think it's been a really big focal point of my study and like what I t spend my time learning because there's been so much in the last couple of years that I've learned about training and nutrition that is really cool, but I've never had to apply because like there's limitations to what, like how scientific you really need to get with some of this shit. Um, so I'd say that would be another big shift for me is just like what I'm studying. Yeah. In general. I think, I think of things in like one of those, like, I think of my dad's garage, like his toolkits, and he used to have that like, like a that six foot craftsman red red drawer, drawers, yeah. and it's like that toolbox had so many things in it, and there were so many things that he was grabbing out of it, putting back in different projects he was working on within that same toolkit, right? And I think of my life or kind of my beliefs, kind of as that toolkit. And understand that there's so many different drawers that we have. There's so many different tools within those different drawers that we have to pull upon in different times of our life. So I think it's very important to have your foundational, because within that toolkit, like there's big drawers, there's small drawers, there's side drawers, like 
there's so many different things, but I think within your life, within your toolkit, you kind of have those foundational pillars that you always are using that you're always kind of like up the screwdriver, you know, flathead Phillips, like you're always going to use a screwdriver. Right. And you know, there's the wrenches and like, there's things like that that you're always going to call upon. But then there's those really specialized tools that, you know, your dad always loves to have and loves to get for Mm -hmm. Christmas. But he's like, you asked him last time he used it and he was like three years ago when I built that. Yeah. And it's like, but that was so useful when you needed that to build that. Yeah. And I think like you were saying, you get so stuck in all I care about is this. All I care about is this. Uh, And just reading, I just finished the book range by David Epstein. And one of the, it's basically the book um, is basically a evidence-based look at fighting our assumptions on what it takes to be good at something or to be successful within something. And we always think of um, like the first chapters about uh, Roger Federer, Roger Federer and Tiger Woods and the different approaches that they used. Obviously Tiger Woods from the age of four was nothing but golf, nothing but golf, nothing but golf, highly specialized. But he was basically looked at all the science, all the science. He looked at all the evidence at um, basically what it takes to be successful. And he found within this, within the literature itself, and it'll, kind of he goes through it tells the story in the book which helps stories always help kind of relate things back um that it takes range if you want to solve problems you need a range of information you need a range of things to draw upon so you need that whole toolbox and you need all you need those drawers to be as full as they can because you never know what tool what skill set what situation is going to need that specific thing that you you learn so i think cornering yourself um obviously there's there's things like if you play ch- and like he also goes through like okay sports specific things you need mastery yeah you need repetition from a very young age chess things like like things that are set in stone but if you're a coach how many different personalities different humans different yeah. problems different systems are we constantly dealing with and you need all your drawers to be as full as possible. I put that on my book list after you recommended it on my story. And I think I like that because I think a lot of people will um, almost steer people away from that type of mentality because of information overload. Mm-hmm. They're like, just focus on one. You know, and I actually agree with that 100%. It's like I really like learn. Like I have a certain – I usually listen to a specific type of book and then I read a specific type of thing at a specific time. Um, and I think investing yourself into multiple things is actually really smart. Um, let's do, let's do two more and then we'll go on or then we'll wrap it up. Um, let's start with this one. This one's from Sue's joy underscore Kim. There's a lot of lies. <laughs> Can chronic insomnia slash sleep issues cause more fat gain? Not only due to increased hunger. Yes. Um, sleep is important as we talked about sleep and stress are very important. Um, and sleep humans aren't meant to be sleep deprived. We're one of the only people who constantly do it to ourselves, but we're not meant to be sleep deprived or lived in that sleep deprived state. Um, and I think that some of us can kind of like hammer through and that's why we constantly do it. Uh, but then there's also people who have insomnia that want to sleep, but can't, but, um, what that role plays, um, we're looking at our hormones more than anything, um, as the fact of your ghrelin, 
increasing, your leptin decreasing, um, and dealing with that hunger, um, like you asked about, where it is going to increase hunger or it's going to cause um, inconsistent hunger, which is very, very hard to do. And that's something that I have clients really nail down is having consistent meal times if they're having inconsistent hunger to kind of see how much of it is actually inconsistent versus what you're doing. Um, so it's going to cause that, but then also looking at the fact that, um, that decreased sleep is also going to play into your body's ability to uptake insulin, which is another important hormone. So we also don't want that to be uh, go awry while our, um, other hormones are not responding well. And then we're dealing off of lack of sleep, but then it can also lead to, um, some different hormones playing into, eating for pleasure more so than eating for hunger. So it's multifaceted and that's only like the tip of the iceberg yeah. when it comes to sleep and hormones. Um, but it definitely can lead to fat gain and it can even lead to like type two diabetes down the road with just, if you're chronically not getting sleep and what that's doing to your hormones. So I would, um, highly suggest if you have actual insomnia and not just like a few nights where you can't sleep to go and see a doctor and get it dealt with, because that's not going to be good for you. And not just in regard of aesthetics and weight gain, but in regards to like your overall well being. Um, and if you're having poor sleep, then prioritize your sleep, yeah. like get, get your nighttime routine done. Make sure you have time to sleep throughout this prep. Even Austin asked me, I think it was this morning, the days are kind of blending together, but he was like, how, how has your sleep been this prep? Um, and I was like, I've done everything in my power to prioritize it because I know how, important it is not only to my physique goals, which is a big part of what I'm doing right now, but also just to like what I can show up to as like a wife and a coach, um, and a friend and just how much I need sleep to be able to function. Um, and it's very easy to just be like, sleep is for the week. Yeah. Let's keep going. But it's like, nah, it's not for the week. <laughs> I got in that mentality. Like I'm an, I'm an anomaly. Like I can get by. It's like, <laughs> I can get by in two hours. On, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. I was probably sleeping like five or six hours a night for a while. And it was one of those things where I, I knew that I needed more, but I also like at the time my physique or health wasn't my priority. It was like, I'm in like for like a Gary V term, like I'm in the dirt right now. Like I'm mm -hmm. grinding and I'm building this empire and like, this is what I have to do. Um, but like, I would say for the last like six months, I've been getting like seven to eight a night and I feel like a different human being. Mm -hmm. I can eat more and maintain my weight, like so on and so forth. And we didn't even touch on muscle growth, but like, yeah. if you want to talk about hypertrophy and being able to sleep, like that's another uh, rabbit hole, but it's massively important. Train hard, recover harder. One of the most eloquent things I've heard about the whole, um, grind don't sleep mentality and how you're perceived as weak in that regard. Mm -hmm. Think of a lion. Like how ferocious, how badass, how intense is a lion? How much do they sleep? A fuck ton. Right. And it's obviously there's a massive difference in our life. Yeah. Um, but how they approach and how efficient and effective they are when they're awake is incredible. So they, let's say they sleep 18, 20 hours a day. Those four to six hours they're up, they are fucking productive. They're efficient. They're effective. They do the job they need to do. And then they go back to sleep until they need to do it again. And I think we get caught up in this comparison or the perception of what other people are seeing of us. And there are some, you know, there are some people who respond differently to less sleep. Like they found that even within the literature. And I think everyone's a little different, but even I'm having to learn my limitations in terms of how much workload I can take on um, or even workload within the same like genre. I was, you know, I was talking to Alex um, kind of about 
the need to diversify what I even do for work and how I kind of like what information or what I'm contributing to or whatever else. Obviously, it's all within fitness and wellness and stuff like that and to further along physique development and stuff like that. But I need to diversify myself. Um, but yeah, I think one of the most eloquent ways I've kind of heard that we would never see a lion as weak or feeble or um, anything like that. So I think it's the perception we have on it. I think it's the kind of the dogma that we is around it. And I don't think you're less of a human or weak because you need more sleep. I think you're silly to ignore that. Um, and honestly, if, if you can sleep eight to 10 hours a night, get up, get your shit done, do everything you need to do as you know, whether, whether you're a parent, husband, wife, or whatever. It, uh, it's, it's really taken, like you said this about something else earlier, but it's taken two steps back to take 10 forward because if you sleep more, you're going to get way more out of your training, which means you could technically probably get more results with less volume if you really like look at it. And it, the same thing goes with work. Like I can get more shit done in a six hour period if I have eight hours of sleep versus a 10 hour period with six hours of sleep. Cause it's just like that hour or two more of sleep allows me to be so much more productive and faster at what I do. Um, I think it's the buy-in at the beginning. Like you have to put in the hours of sleep to get the hours out of the work later on. And that's what people aren't willing to do. Yeah. I think we hit the nail on the head there, but I will say one analogy for Sue and I both is that our dog Gus is a chronic sleeper. He's a fantastic sleeper, but when he is awake, he's so happy. And he's so energetic. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's a perfect example and a reminder for me that, uh, you know, he's at his best all the time when he's awake and he's snoozing when he's not. And he gets the sleep is really the driver there. I wish I could live like Gus. He can can even go from like full on energy to like asleep the next minute to like back to full on energy. And I'm like, what's that like? Like, What a life. What a life you got here, Gus. But fed his belly rubbed. Yeah, even knowing the importance of sleep, sometimes Alex has to like push me and be like, you need more sleep tonight. And I'm like, nah, nah, I'm good. Like I got more to do. It's the way of the entrepreneur. Yeah. yeah. But also you're just talking about productive time in regards to like um, the first night we got here, I had check-ins to do, but I knew I wasn't going to be productive until I got sleep. And it's like, yeah, I could have stayed up and answered those to check them off my list, but how much of me as a coach would those people be getting? And would that be fair? Or could I wait? a few more hours, get my sleep and then come and attack them and feel good about the work that I was doing and also be able to like show up as the best coach instead of like subpar tired 12 hour travel day coach, which did not want to show up. (laughs) Yeah, no, I a hundred percent agree. Um, last one we will go with, let's do this one. Carmen Alessa, how to combine performance and aesthetics, a way to combine both of these goals in one program. So maybe like how uh, it doesn't have to be super detailed because obviously we could lay out a full program, but like how you would attack this. What kind of performance are we looking for? Like what, what yeah. does she want to achieve within that? I think that um, aesthetics and, and performance can definitely be combined. It just depends on how much performance and, and how much aesthetic are you wanting to, to have within that? Is there an even keel balance or is one more prioritized? Uh, truthfully, because I, I think that you can say, well, I want more performance, but then at the end of the day, wanting to look a certain way is more important. So being honest with yourself up front, I think would be a big thing to, to note. Yeah. 
I would say that like for myself, it's not that my performance is awful. Now that my aesthetic goal has taken over my performance, I really prioritize that. And we even talked about intra carbs the other day and kind of what that looks like. But like Alex said, being able to figure out, okay, which one is the most important to you? Because, um, I have clients that are like, I want to lift more, but I want to be leaner. And it's like, all right, to a certain degree, we can do both, but which one do you want more? Pick one. Yeah. Let's go with that. Um, and let's get after it because sometimes some of the most athletic people, not that they don't look athletic, but maybe they're not the most aesthetic people. It's not the people that are, um, lifting hundreds and hundreds of pounds that are competing on the bodybuilding stage, like in powerlifting meets that are able to have the physique to compete on a bodybuilding stage because they require different outlets. Um, so being able to kind of weigh those, but also know what direction you want to go in. I think CrossFitters are the best example of true athletes, to be honest with you. Like the, not only the physical feats they go through, but also the, the way they look, but also the way they look is shredded as they, we see them to be, or as in shape, quote unquote, that as we see them to be in which they are, they still couldn't step on a bodybuilding stage mm-hmm. and be successful. And so understanding what does that mean to you? And often to look good on a bodybuilding stage means to look even less adequate in real life mm-hmm. because you don't, unless you've gone to the stage or you've gotten to in shape to step on stage, understand obviously depending on your lifestyle you probably don't walk around with your clothes off all the time right and so you just look look, yeah you look you look small you don't feel very strong you're you're low on energy so what's the trade-off there and understanding don't be married to a singular look and understand that all looks come with a sacrifice and i even had a client um shout out to kevin um that he had and he, he, he loves Olympic based movements, but he also loves to look a certain way aesthetically. And so he's, he came to me, he was like, how do I, how do we do this? And basically we put together a program where we put Ollie lifting in there, but we also put hypertrophy st- style stuff in there. And we just periodized it in a way where he understood that neither of those things were going to be 100% the focus, but he un- also understood that we could have six enough success for there to be enjoyment, but also merit to still be doing it, um, by, by combining those two styles of training. So you just have to understand, um, that it's probably going to be a little bit harder. Uh, if you're just trying to do it yourself, um, you may need to reach out to a coach that has experience doing it, um, or at least can lead you in the right direction. But I think something to add off of, to piggyback off of that is that, um, you know, what's going to be optimal in terms of research and this situation may not be optimal. Like what's optimal for you is not going to necessarily be like written in, in literature at this point. Mm-hmm. So having the ability to kind of work and, and find what's best is going to be great. Yeah. I, th- I think that like in the muscle and strength pyramids, it does a good job about, he's talking about strength performance. Um, and he talks about like whatever your main goal is, two thirds of your volume should be put towards that. So if your main goal is aesthetics, then two thirds of your volume should be bodybuilding training one third of it should be powerlifting if you have a combination of goals. And I think that that in general kind of applies across the board. Um, but I also like what you said about defining what looking good is to you or like what aesthetic goal you have, because I, I know a lot of people, I've had people tell me they want to look like a CrossFitter and mm-hmm. that's not a symmetrical physique whatsoever. But, but they look scary as fuck. Like they look scary. So it's like an athletic looking. look, right? Yeah. So I know for me, the reason I said this is because I like a lot of volume on my traps because I wear a shirt 
a lot. A lot of my shirts are like that heather material, and I notice when my traps kind of poke out at the top of my back, and that makes me feel good. Like that's an aesthetic thing that matters to me, not how my physique looks on stage because I'm never half naked. But I always wear a shirt, and I like to notice my traps. So like little things like that, being aware with it and being like that's a very vain thing, but it's like being okay with that and be like, okay, how do I tailor this? That's a really easy one with performance because, I mean, there's so much like only lifting and everything that's so trap dominant. So if you're like me, that's a really good example. Mm-hmm. But um, point being, I think just defining what that is and then just kind of divvying up your volume for it really. And just yeah. like you said, you're not going to be the world's best only lifter if, if you want to combine the two, but it doesn't mean you can't be good at both. Yeah. yeah. It's been cool to watch um, Nick Bear go through his marathon training and his Ironman training because he had put a side-by-side of like what he looked like 30 or 40 pounds earlier when he was like really focused on bodybuilding and then what his physique looks like now and he's lost muscle and he's gone through this whole transformation because he wanted to not only be able to run a marathon but qualify for the Boston Marathon and that takes a completely different level and he he does like how he looks more now um when he made the comparison post he was like I actually like looking this way even though he's lost muscle and done that because like you said qualifying like what you want to look like is, but also what your performance is at that point. He can run a six minute mile for 26 miles. That's incredible performance, but you can't have that performance and stop on a bodybuilding yeah. page. Uh, Alex had a client who wanted to run a marathon and prep for a bodybuilding page in tandem. And it was something that it was kind of like, which one do you want to be the best at? Because you can't be a hundred percent at both, yeah. but it's also been really cool. And I get the privilege. both though. She did do both. Um, she is a freak. Uh, but <laughs> I, I do get the privilege of, I mean, working alongside Alex. So I get to see this as much and not as much within Austin just because we're not always together. But it's really cool because he does really ask the client, okay, what do you like to do? And I have a client who her goal is muscle gain, but she loves cardio. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, we're going to put it a, in there. I have that, a lot of enjoy people like that. It. And yeah. that's actually what made me dive into all the conditioning uh, research and programming and stuff because – I have a lot of people who like a concurrent model. They're like, I want to look good, but I really enjoy doing sprints, doing circuits, doing the assault bike. Like they're coming from across the background mm-hmm. or whatever it may be. Um, and I'll also add to like speaking of CrossFitters, because I agree. I watch the CrossFit Games. I actually have um, a, a multiple CrossFitters that compete at a pretty high level. They're going to be at Wadapalooza. So shout out to the people that are doing that here this next this weekend, actually. which They actually added dumbbell bench press. Mm. to Wadapalooza which is like a really big cost of competition I thought that was kind of cool but like two things on that is number one if you really like so one lady I can think of in particular if you look at her volume it's through the roof but she's not a bodybuilder but you wonder why she has great quads great traps like well, she's doing two a days, six days a week. Some of those are just conditioning, but some of those are like, oh, I'm going to go in and do like only lifting practice in the morning. But that's like reps on your traps and on your hips and everything. And then I have a day where I'm going to go in and just, just front squat light loads. But it's like you're still squatting like a lot. So um, understanding that like the reason some CrossFitters are also really jacked is just from the volume perspective. They just do yeah. a lot of volume. Yeah. Some yeah. of them are also genetic freaks. So no matter what they do. And then the last thing I'll say is I've also run into people who come to me that are really deep in a CrossFit and they look great, but they feel like shit. Awful. They come to me, they're like, I, I can't sleep. My cortisol levels are all jacked up. My adrenals are smoked. Like, um, like I, I never feel like I'm satisfied with food. Like, and it's like you, and it's not even a nutritional, like, Oh, we just have to reverse diet. It's like, you need to stop training so much. Yeah. That's the only thing. But, um, just for, I just think like context and that is, is really important. I think a trade off too. Um, one of the, my favorite things Matt actually talks about 
once on his podcast was kind of just to touch on if, you know, you have a photo in mind or a body type in mind or a way someone looks for, you know, their life. One, you have to realize you're not them and, you know, you're set up differently. And we've gone through the extent of that, the extent of that on, I feel like on this podcast and realizing that, but also realize too, like with that physique comes their problems. Like you can't just pick and choose what you want out of their life. That's not how life works. Um, so if you want their physique, you also have to take maybe their, their marital, marital problems, their financial problems, their work problems. Maybe they hate their life and hate what they do, but they look fantastic (laughs) and put on a front really well on Instagram. Like you don't know what's going on in people's life. And you also just don't know the full extent of their story. And so as beautiful as you think they look and as ideal as you think they look, they could be absolutely miserable, but because that's how they do their work or that they're maybe an influencer and do influencer marketing. That's, that's, they got to put on that thing and that that persona is everything to them. And so don't be so quick to try and just cherry pick the best things from other people. Um, because one, it's not possible. And two, you're going to be left. You have to also accept the trade-off of getting some of those problems that they deal with. So are you willing to do that? Yes. No. So that's one thing. Yeah. Dope. Let's wrap it up there. Um, I'm going to, I'm not going to do the whole, like, where can everybody find you? Cause I think like, <laughs> I've had all you guys on already. So, um, what I will say us. is, uh, everybody's Instagrams will be in the show notes. I will link physique development.com. Um, they put out a lot of great content guys. So go ahead and check them out. I'll put Austin current's podcast as well. Um, it sounds weird saying Austin current when you're sitting right next to me. Um, but I believe it's called Life uh, Beyond Fitness. With Austin Current. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I'll link all that in the show notes, guys. Go check out their stuff. Uh, thank you for listening to this entire podcast, which Woo-hoo. was really fucking long. Before I let you go, I just want to say thanks. I seriously appreciate you spending this last hour or so with me, educating yourself to get better results. It still humbles me to this day that people around the world literally have me in their headphones or their speakers just to learn. It's so empowering, and because of that, I have three quick things for you. The first one is a personal favor. Please leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. When you do this, not only does it help me learn and get better at making podcasts for you to get better results, but it helps us grow inside of iTunes, which allows us to invest more, again, to get you better results. The second thing, head over to boomboomformance.com slash sign dash up or click the link in the show notes to get your free copy of the Nutrition Hierarchy. This is everything you need to know about nutrition to change your body composition or performance inside of a manual. I take the leading evidence inside of research and all the principles, methods, and tools based on some of the top professionals in the industry, and I put them all in a book so you can learn more about your nutrition and get better results. The third thing, this is a personal invitation to shoot me a DM on Instagram or email me at cody at boomboomperformance.com. I will help you troubleshoot anything you need. This is literally an invitation to jump in my inbox and ask me anything you want and let me help you. All right, guys, that's all I got for you this time. I appreciate you being here and I'll see you next time.